Hey everybody, this is Alan from Small Town Famous, and we are the biggest little podcast out there. Now today, a little bit, a bit different uh, than what you've heard in the past. We're uh, I'm here by myself, number one, as you can tell, uh, just because we're all practicing our social dis- distancing and things like that. And um, Arkansas is a little bit different than some of the other places uh, that you may be living in and and everything. But uh, everybody's being affected. But um, and we would just uh, want to let you know that we're praying for everybody, um, especially those in those hot spots of New York and California, um, where we have listeners, quite a few in New York and um, Florida that will be a hot spot. It's New Orleans, Washington State. We just want to let you know we, that we're thinking about you guys and we're praying for you. Uh, today's going to be different because I'm going to be uh, interviewing a. a healthcare worker that I know, um, and um, you, she's going to remain anonymous just due to, you know, regulations for medical care and things like that, but she's just going to talk a little bit about what it's like to actually be working on the front lines of this in a hotspot. Uh, she works um, in one of the hotspots in New Orleans, I'll go ahead and say that, um, where they believe that the reason that New Orleans is a hot spot is because prob- most possibly, or most probably because of Mardi Gras. Um, and because at that time, we just didn't really know that the virus was really here um, in, in that kind of capacity. So anyway, we, and this is, uh, so this is hopefully just going to be informative. Um, I know we put it on Facebook for people to ask questions and we could do a follow-up if we need to. I'm just grateful to have, um, her come on, the, uh, this uh, nurse that works uh, in New Orleans, and to talk a little bit about what she's seeing. And, and also just wanted to express our appreciation for what, what she's doing, what all the healthcare workers are doing, what all the medical professionals are doing, uh, uh, the response from our government, the response from FEMA, the response from just all branches, um, and also just the, lo- the state and local governments. Thank them for what they're doing. Um, to to try to keep us all safe and to protect us, and at the same time try to protect the economy. We also just uh, we want to just thank you for continuing to listen and support Small Town Famous. Uh, we want uh, we want to special say uh, a special thank you to uh, those special close friends in Louisiana, which we're right next to. And as most of you know, my two oldest daughters live in Louisiana. Y'all just heard the episode with my two son in laws, uh, sons in law that, you know, they're being affected uh, drastically. Uh, you know, Emily's pregnant, so she's a little bit scared. Uh, they have a stay-at-home order issue for Louisiana. But there's some more encouraging news that came out of Louisiana this morning, um, recording this on uh, Wednesday morning uh, on uh, the 25th of March. So um, anyway, that it seems like that uh, most places in the state will not hit a capacity or break their capacity and so you'll probably start seeing shifting or rolling capacity. In other words, sending PPE and ventilators and respirators and things like that to those places that are hot spots like, say, New Orleans. So uh, Louisiana will be an interesting test case, just like uh, New York right now is the test case and the epicenter of what's going on in the United States because so go New York and how they handle that, that uh, strategically will then allow them later, and uh, when we go to start seeing it in California even greater, that they'll be ramped up and ready 
to match the for the capacity to um, stay above the the apex of the curve. And so the the data coming in seems more and more favorable all the time. So we're just thankful for those that are studying it every day, working around the clock, like your like Tony Fauci that everybody's come to love. Um, this voice of reason that we see during all these ta- task force. Um, conferences and things like that that you're seeing every day. So we just, uh, and thankful for just how Americans are pulling together. We have local stories here of what uh, people are doing where they're gathering supplies and taking them to local hospitals just in preparation in case it does happen uh, in our certain areas. As of this point, in my direct vicinity, in my county, uh, we have two cases, um, but that's held for the last three days or so. So, in any case, just, uh, again, our prayers that this thing passes fast, um, that the numbers come in where they expect them to, and that uh, along with other therapies and things that we get through this uh, uh, re- sooner rather than later. Uh, and we just, um, I've seen more and more people, you know, also just trusting the Lord. I've seen more people uh, praying than ever before. I know I've prayed probably more in the last two weeks than I have in the last two years, which I'm ashamed to say, but uh, it has brought me closer to the Lord. So, um, and we've got to spend a lot of quality time with our family, uh, being creative in things that we do. So, anyway, uh, without further ado, I'm going to uh, get her on the phone and uh, and and talk to her for a little, just a little bit about what she's seeing on the front lines. Hello. Hey, baby. How are hey. you doing? I'm good. How are you? Good, good. Um, so you wo- you worked last night, huh? I did. I worked last night and the night before that. Uh, so you're. Uh, when did this all kind of get? When did this all kind of get started in your mind, as far as and for you personally? Because a lot of this, we can't talk about procedures. We can't talk about things like that necessarily, and we got to right. protect. Um, we got to protect things, uh, certain things, uh, but um, we'll leave that to the media, other media outlets to to dig into right. some of the other details. But I just, uh, you know, I just want to know from you, you know, how things are, uh, when it came to a, a real, you had this realization that, holy crap, you know, this thing is really real because it's your generation. And as you know, you are kind of taking the brunt of the attack on spreading the virus, right? Uh, right. The, the millennials. And we just want to know what I want to know. What was that moment that you realized, like, man, this is this is really this is this is legit. This is really happening. It really was probably Monday night when I first worked because we just opened up a um, they're calling it a respiratory ICU. But the only patients that were taken on that floor is covid um, if they're positive or they're just rule out patients. So that's the only people that are on that floor. And so when all this started, I didn't really, I mean, I knew it was probably going to get serious, obviously, but we hadn't seen any patients at that point. We were just kind of preparing. And then I feel like this past week, it's kind of just blown up and we've got like such an influx of people coming into the ER. We've had, um, we've got like three or four ICUs at the hospital that I work at and they're all filling up with patients and we're like not able to staff the floors and I didn't really see that until Monday night whenever I started working and I saw like what chaos and 
really how serious it was. So I'd say probably not until I worked the Corona ICU that it all kind of came to a head. And I was like, wow, this is really, really bad. So how did you feel? Uh, how did you feel that first night after after seeing it? Because when you're in it, you're having, you've you got it. All you're doing is thinking about the patient and, and, and taking the doctor's orders and doing what you need to do. Uh, right. which helps keep your mind occupied as you start feeling a little bit overwhelmed. How did, how did you feel about it as you were come, you know, when you walked, when your shift ended and you were able to walk out and we can get I, into those certain things, but how did you, how did you feel after that night? I was completely overwhelmed and they actually have psychiatrists rounding on the nurses and doctors every day, like making sure they don't need anything. Like, are you having trouble sleeping? Do you have anxiety? Like following up with us after our shifts. So I thought that was pretty cool because there is a lot of people handling it differently. Like most people after their shifts are completely exhausted, which is kind of how I felt just so drained because you're putting everything that you can into it. And I mean, this is kind of little compared to what the patients are going through, but just being in the room for that long, like with all your face masks and gowns and goggles and gloves and all of the PPE and everything like that and trying to do everything all at once in cluster care and limit exposure and a steady admitting patients and everything like that. So it's just kind of a nonstop chaotic process. So it was just mostly exhausted after that, but it did feel good like having that psychiatrist come up and be like, how are you feeling? Do you need anything? Is there anything that I can do? And all those things. So they do have some resources like that to help out, but it's, it's just emotionally and physically exhausting at this point. Yeah, well, that's, I haven't heard that. So that's, that's cool. That's very, that is nice. And yeah, help, help kind of help process it a little bit and keep it in perspective. And right. um, so we're now talking on Wednesday. <clears throat> the reality really struck you Monday. Yes. And and if if you're like I was in my industry in the financial industry, you know I came to the realization. Well, number one, I'm getting close to getting my AARP card, so I had it. I'm not considered a millennial, so mm-hmm. I had the realization last week because I could see the financial ramifications, which sometimes are a future indicator of what's going to happen. So right. I really, you know, it it really struck me last week, mm-hmm. and I started making. Uh, changes even in the way I did business last week, um, and it was a very, I mean, when when I sit when I swallowed it and started, it's like we're going through these stages of gr- the five stages of grief, but we're going through them in about fifteen minutes because yes. you because if you're working in it, not like you guys, I mean, you're on the front lines. Mm-hmm. I'm on the I'm on the other side of finance and economics. Um, but I don't know if you felt this way, but once you, once you swallow it and you, you go from denial to real, to, to acceptance very rapidly, it's like time slows down. So every day, because this is changing hour by hour to me, every day seems like a week. I I, I could not, is that what it feels to you? Absolutely. Yeah. Even those shifts, like we stayed so busy, but it just felt like time was dragging on. I think like you were saying, just because like the realization of it all hit me all at once. Like I was scared going into my shift and having like a little anxiety and things like that. Like, wow, I'm really about to be taking care of these people with this deadly virus and everybody's avoiding them. And now we're going like straight in and taking care of them, which is the nurse's job and everything. But still just, I don't know, just being actually in it. And like you're saying, it all hitting at one time, it's just 
super overwhelming and I, I don't really know how else to describe it, but it's just wild. It is. It, well, because it's so unprecedented. Nobody knows. And, and I think yeah. we'll, we'll be better as a country after we get on the other side of this. We've learned so much. And I'm one thing I can guarantee, I mean, the Lord, it didn't catch him by surprise. All right. So right. he has a plan. Mm-hmm. The, and one thing that it will help us do though is we'll be more we'll be much more prepared next time, and right. that we realize that we are not immune, and I think that we realized how fragile our medical system is, and also our financial system, and Absolutely. so so it, that those are very sobering thoughts. Now you mentioned PPE, um, and you know there I'm seeing better news today than I've seen over the last couple of weeks. I was more I, I followed. Governor Cuomo out of New York, which really is the the right now it's like our miniature China that we can really look at to yeah. right so you can yeah, kind of yeah. follow that so if as New York goes, you can kind of start making predictions and mm-hmm. it does start making sense that now, as better data is coming online, that testing is just ramping up dramatically, obviously we're going to see more positive yeah. cases. But at some point, it apexes. No matter how bad it gets, it apexes. And then the curve shortens on the other side, and it rapidly starts going down to a manageable level. So, But you're in a hot spot. So you're nationally. Louisiana, as of the day before yesterday, was per capita the fastest-growing infection rate in the entire world. Not, yeah. just the, not just the United States. Faster than New York. Faster than Italy. Um. And the what I'd heard from you know uh, from Governor Edwards, listening to him, and and it makes sense that it probably happened because of the seeding of the virus probably happened because of Mardi Gras. Yes, I've read that a few different places, and I, I believe that. Yeah. Okay. So, and that makes it makes a, a lot of sense. Yeah. Um. Ha, do you believe the city has started taking it? Um. And I. And when I say taking it seriously, I know the leaders have been, and I know many many people have been. Not so. That's not a slam on anybody, but yeah. even you know your age, it's a little bit more, eh, a little bit more defined over it. I'm seeing that change dramatically here. Down there, yeah. do you see it citywide? Do you see people pulling together, or people at least uh, coming to that just the realization that ho- holy crap, this is this is for real. Yeah, so it did take a little bit. I feel like in the past week, they've actually, people have started taking it seriously because up until probably the middle of last week, you would still see people like going out in groups. It took like them finally like shutting the restaurants and bars down for people to be like, oh, okay, maybe we really shouldn't be going out and going on Bourbon Street and all of the things. So, but as of right now, like whenever I'm driving to work and out and about, because I usually, I don't get around anybody if I'm, after my shifts, I try to stay home like like we're supposed to, but I'll see just people running, and it's mostly like six feet apart. I don't see people out and about walking around, uh, just a couple runners that are six feet apart. So I really, compared to what I usually see with people everywhere and just on the street cars and on Bourbon Street and walking around in big groups, it's it's not. I feel like people are taking it seriously down here finally. So, Well, are there any misconceptions that you're seeing as far as – you know, we all know the the stats now that actually the millennials are getting it more than anyone, and they're yeah. spreading it. So they're so you're saying they're getting the message there, and in every hotspot, if they get they're getting the message, 
um, it does slow the curve. And that was the that was the great news I heard this morning uh, out of Cuomo that New York is getting the message that they are starting to see um, that they're going to reach that apex. Um, and so that was really encouraging uh, that the rate of hospital hospitalizations is slowing down. I mean, the rate of infection is going up as far as yeah. new, new, new positives, but that percentage was overwhelmingly above the national average. It res mm -hmm. it would resemble more like Italy, mm -hmm. um, and but now that since so many people are being tested, a lot of them are um, not very symptomatic or not uh, possibly asymptomatic. Uh, a lot of negatives that maybe mm -hmm. they're sick with something else. Um, yeah. Uh, Crap, I, I talked so long that I forgot what question I was going <laughs> to ask. Were you going to ask like, uh, if younger people or if I'm seeing more younger people or older people? Well, or yeah. Well, the, okay. The, yeah. I'm sorry, thank, yeah. Thank you. So the, yeah. the misconception of, uh, you know, what are you, what are you seeing when they come in? When they come in? Are you seeing the same thing as far as that more um, as testing ramps up, you're seeing more positives? And that the age at the that the demographic um, is mostly millen the say the the twenty year old to fifty to forty nine year old age group, um, but and then the hospitalization rate is it coming in at around you know fifteen percent and of that or of that there's a certain percentage you know twenty percent or so need uh, need vents or ventilators uh, is that are y'all seeing about the same kind of rates? Yeah, mostly. So the youngest I think I've seen in positive cases was a 24-year-old, and the oldest I've seen has been like 85. Um, and typically it's been 50 and over that have needed vent support. It's the younger generation is typically, which is to be expected, they bounce back pretty quick and can recover and things like that. But the older population is the one that's requiring the ventilators and things like that, which I feel like we're seeing more of probably 40 year olds and up because like you said, the younger generation can get swabbed. And as long as they're not having any complications, shortness of breath or anything like that, they can stay home. They don't have to come to the hospital and all of the things. Um, but yeah, the older generation, we're starting to kind of run out of ventilators and things like that and dialysis machines and kind of overrun. Um, our charge nurse on our unit last night was saying like, to every one person that we're getting out of our uh, respiratory ICU, we've got five more down on the ER, but they've started um, testing in-house. Like we used to have to swab them and it would be like a send out uh, COVID test and we would have to wait like four to five days or something like that. And mm -hmm. now it's only a matter of a few hours. So we are seeing a lot more positives because we're able to get those results back really quickly and things like that. So that but, does that yeah. give you a sense of control at least that, now you know so fast because you're having to you don't when you don't know that's really where fear sets in but right. the fact that you know then you can immediately isolate and determine the course of action is that right right but and most of them that come in with like because they're all pretty similar though most of them are like shortness of breath fever cough things like that so immediately when they come in with those symptoms we'll put them on the airborne isolation and put on our mask and do like the whole nine and then we'll swab them and just assume that they're positive from there so even if they're not positive we're put, we're assuming that they are and putting them on isolation and kind of quarantining them immediately and then once we get the results back and see if they were negative, we'll take it 
fall away and it's like, okay, it was something else. And, but everybody's protected just in case it would come back positive. Now, are you seeing, so even in the younger generations that you're with, say, cause I think of this personally, like with Aniston, right? Mm-hmm. Diabetic mm-hmm. now, but still worldwide, even though she has a compromised immune system, uh, we're not seeing with the younger ones. There's a, there's, of course, there's always those, um, exceptions but we're not as far as what i've seen on the news i I haven't Mm -hmm. seen even the compromised immune systems in the young uh, under age 12 or uh the teenager i haven't seen the uh the mortality rate um uh being wrong that i've seen that that there's only a hand few uh uh, just a handful worldwide that have uh, that have passed away so are y'all seeing that down there do you, when you have young people who may be ill and also have compromised immune systems? At, are you seeing the shortness of breath? Are you seeing all those some of those that might be outliers? In the younger population? Yes. Yeah, like population? say like Aniston's age, yeah. you know, 12 and yeah, under. Yeah. So, um, yeah, there, I would say that there's a more, I haven't seen a lot of people. Like I said, the, the youngest I've seen is actually 24, so I haven't seen anybody younger than that. Um, but the, I feel like this is just general. I, I'm, I only worked the respiratory ICU sure. like last night and night four, but, um, the younger people are having like a lot more milder symptoms. They might have, you know, the shortness of breath and fever and cough, but it's not like they're getting pneumonia, like bilateral pneumonia and things like that, like the older generation are. So, and like you said, with the compromised immune system, I usually work on the surgical, um, intensive care unit. So, um, they're all, it's a big transplant for, so um, they're all taking immunosuppressants. So it's kind of like putting oh, wow. them at risk at well as well. So we're trying to, that's another reason we opened up this respiratory ICU is because we have all those transplant patients that are immunocompromised and some of them are younger. So we're trying to keep, separate everyone as much as possible because it's not, not the place you want to be during a pandemic is a hospital, obviously. Yeah. So, so with the, so with those younger ones that ha, are have compromised immune systems, um, you say early youngest you seen is twenty four period, but um, so even with the young adults, say thirty and under or whatnot, with compromised immune systems, are you seeing very many of them need a vent? No, I haven't seen any person under forty that's needed a vent yet. Um, the patients that I've taken on and just kind of walking around the unit and peeking in. Um, we have big open windows where you can see all the patients at all times. So mm-hmm. just kind of walking by and things like that. I haven't seen um, any younger people that have needed events so far. Now, have y'all got to a position where you're having to cram beds in to more than one, you know? Not the, yet. Okay. Now, yeah, I, not yet. So uh, do you think, are they looking at possibly, and this is what I think they're doing and what, so what they should do, um, as more data comes in across the country, and we look at North Louisiana, which has a relatively few as compared to everyone else, uh, are you starting to see uh, our hearing of that supplies, PPE, vents, respirators, that those are coming from the less affected parts of the state, and then they'll deal with the other parts of the state as things pop up, as you as y'all apex and come out the other side? Well, I'm hoping that... Like you said, they will start sending. The less affected areas will start sending us supplies. As of right now, the hospital is saying that we have plenty. I don't know 
How accurate that is because we're having to reuse our mask every time and reuse face shields. Um, we are able to get new gowns every time. But they said as long as we're preserving like that and everyone is reusing the same mask and the same face shields and things like that, um, we should be good to get through this. But I don't know. The way it's I don't know. The way it's been going, as long as we like the same flatten the curve and the it slows up and everything is okay, I think that's right. But if this keeps going the way it is, then I think they will have to start sending us some supplies. But as of right now, their statement is that as long, the way we're going, we should be able to get through this with our supply of PPE. So well, that's 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 good news. Yeah. That, that's good news. Now un- unfortunately, I mean you're having to uh, wear the same face shield, same the same mask. So we're mm-hmm. hearing that a lot, and in the hot spots, um, and I get, and you're used to put got what getting a new mask every day or getting a new mask every patient. I mean, what is uh, so? Are they basically so? All right. So I guess the question is this: since you're working basically COVID, right? After you start working COVID, you're basically working COVID. Is that right or? Uh, no, actually, I'm, I'm kind of surprised they actually are pulling from, okay, so on the COVID floor, the way they've got it set up is they have like one ICU nurse, one med surge nurse, and they have like a CRNA usually on a team. So they're pulling people that hadn't been at the bedside for years and years. Um, and so they put us all on a team and we take care of three patients. So um what was the question again? I'm sorry. But <laughs> uh, well, uh, no, that 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 the tip in a typical day, you would get uh-huh. a new mask and you would get a new face right, shield so, and stuff like that, and and right. now you're you're having to reuse those. Um, yeah. And and so that's I know that's got to be a little bit scary, but they're saying right. if you do that, that y'all will get uh, from what the, what they're seeing, y'all will get through this. Right. Um, yeah. Well, so whenever we walk in the hospital, they'll give us like a brown paper bag. So like Monday night, I got my masks and I'll have to bring those masks every time. But I won't be necessarily in the COVID ICU. Um, this is where I kind of got lost. So yeah, no, you're right. Because I, I did actually I did actually ask two questions in one. You're, you're exactly no, right. Because I said, um, are they, you staying on COVID if you're already in COVID? That's right. Yeah, yeah. So they, they are pulling from – so they're pulling like two or three nurses from the ICUs each shift. So we are rotating around. So if you work the COVID one night, you might not necessarily go back to that unit. Um, so we all take a turn just because it is so much more stressful and chaotic than our regular floors that we're working. Because mm-hmm. um, you're working with – patient um, nurses that hadn't been at the bedside and they're trying to coordinate everybody's care. And it's just kind of people are coming in and out and it's it's just really a hectic environment. So they're trying to like just rotate us through that unit, which I guess isn't ideal. You, you would think that they might want the same people to work that unit every time to kind of limit exposure. But I think for just the peace of mind and like mental health of everybody, they're just trying to, you do your shift in there and then you go back to your regular floor and then you'll come back in a few days just to kind of give you a break from it. That's what I was wondering. So it's more, I figured that's, it had to be from an emotional standpoint because they, obviously if you're having to wear the same mask and face shield, and then suddenly you're not only, you're using that in a non COVID environment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a little... yeah, yeah, it is. It, it's it's pretty. It's a little sketchy, for lack of a better word, because yeah. like you're going in and out of these rooms, and you've been using the same mask and everything like that. You've been in COVID positive rooms, and now 
which the surgical masks um, we're using, if we go like in transplant patients, any immunocompromised, but those N95 masks mm-hmm. that we have, which an N95, if anybody doesn't know, it's like a mask that seals around your face. Air is not supposed to be like going in or out of that. Mm-hmm. And that's what we use for people on airborne precautions. But those N95 masks were really only supposed to wear in the COVID room. So technically, we're not using those masks every time only for COVID patients, but still that surgical mask, we only got one of, and we're supposed to wear that surgical mask over our N95 mask. So technically it's still exposed in the COVID room. So mm-hmm. it is a little icky. So the, uh, but the COVID mask, okay. So that the surgical mask, explain the difference between a surgical mask and a, I think everybody is getting uh, a big education now in America mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. what an N95 is. We definitely know now. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that I didn't know before. I just thought, I mean, it's the same kind of mask you get when, you, when you're mowing your yard. It's not, obviously. So yeah. I, the N95, understanding what that is now and why you can't just wear a bandana over your face. Yes. Um, what is the difference between a surgical, the surgical mask or the face shields or whatever people are calling them? So um, you've got the N95 mask, which is the seal, and then you've got the surgical mask, which is what you see like a bunch of people just walking around in. Like I've seen a bunch of people at Walmart. It doesn't have any type of seal really on it. It just covers your nose and mouth. Um, So it wouldn't work in like if there's an airborne virus like this one, um, there's no seal. Like um, the particles in the air could get through that surgical mask, Mm -hmm. which is why we're wearing the sealed mask. And then we're putting the surgical mask over our sealed mask to just for like an extra layer of protection. And yeah, just to kind of make sure, because we have the little N95, but that's just the protocol they're doing right now is put on that N95 and then put on that surgical mask just as an extra like securement blanket for you. And then they have the face shield, since it's airborne that way, if you know, they cough or anything like that, or it's airborne. So they don't want your eyes exposed either. So mm-hmm. you have a face shield that covers starts on your forehead and goes down your face. So. Now, are you having to wear the face shield? All, uh, do you have to wear, are you wearing the same face shield or, or are those able to be disinfected or? So we have bleach wipes outside of the room that we've been doing every time. So like, as soon as we come out, you know, take the gloves and gown off, wash our hands, put on more gloves, wash down that face shield, then like, you know, disinfect again. So it's kind of like a long process, um, which is, it's kind of crazy. It's so different from another floor, but the name of the game on that unit is limit exposure as much as possible. So yeah. You might have to only go in the room. They only want you to go in like every four hours, you know, unless there's an emergency. So you're going in there and you're staying in there for long periods of time. So in it, with all that process, we're trying to do everything at one time, come out and only have to disinfect because it is like a whole process being very careful, making sure you're taking off your PPE the appropriate way and you're disinfecting everything the appropriate way and, you know. The whole nine. So the four-hour thing was interesting because Mm -hmm. uh, some things have shown, and this Mm -hmm. is just off the top top of my head, but on certain surfaces, the virus can only live for a few hours. So Mm -hmm. on on certain types of non-porous materials and also Mm -hmm. on cardboard and stuff like that. But um, so if you're – if it can't live but a few hours on on face shields – um. So, all right, we don't know. And again, this is not scientific. Yeah. This is not medical advice, and this is not any of that. This is my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, but if it's yeah, if it's not able to, it, it might, it's my it makes sense on the four hours. 
to me because the face shields are hard plastic, correct? Mm-hmm. Yes. And and after that, you're wiping it down to try to mm-hmm. eliminate any kind of exposure. So mm-hmm. reusing those, do, uh, even though there may be uh, less um, less of an ability to spread the virus, because uh, again, from my understanding of the virus itself and how it works, is mm-hmm. what they had seen through China. Interesting with the way this virus lives. And reproduces. It's like um, almost like like ants. You can be, get bit by a couple of ants. It, it's a pain in the butt. But mm-hmm. if you lay on a, uh, uh, especially in South Arkansas, as we understand it, uh, fire ants. If you go down and just lay on a pile of fire ants, you're mm-hmm. not going to have a pleasant experience. No. Right. So that's the way almost yeah. this virus works. The longer you're exposed to a lot of it, that seems that the sicker you're getting. So mm-hmm. and the and if you're barely exposed, you can you can pop positive. You can have a you can hit positive, but not get as sick. Now is that is that true? Because I I did hear that in China that the more you're expo- the more or longer you're exposed, the sicker you get. The least amount of exposure, you can still test positive, but, but not have as the same medical um, uh, issues. See, I'm not sure about that because um, the people that are coming into the hospital, it's like they're coming in um, and I don't know if it's like the longer that they have it at home and go untreated, the sicker that they're getting or if it has anything to do with their exposure. But Uh-oh. The night before. Uh-oh, it cut out. The phone cut out. Oh. Sorry about that. Uh, the, phone, oh. the phone cut out no, right when you were saying that. So you were saying that um, as long as the so when they're coming in, you're not you're you don't know if they're sicker. So basically, they're waiting until they're really sick and say, "Okay, I need to go." And yeah, I think, right, yeah, yeah. I think it's when people start like they're feeling a little sick at home, and then when they start feeling short of breath and like really having issues is when they're coming into the hospital, which is I think is really what they're wanting people to do anyway. As long as you're fine at home and feel like you're able to breathe and manage your symptoms at home. They want you to do that. But whenever you come into the hospital, that's kind of whenever it gets these people. I don't know if it's, they were had a whole lot of exposure or if they just have been symptomatic for multiple days in a row and are declining and they're finally coming into the hospital and you're trying to play catch up from there. But I have seen it um, multiple times Monday and Tuesday night that these people are coming in and they're really like, they're doing okay. They might need a little bit of oxygen and then they all of a sudden just start declining very quickly. So Hmm. I don't know if that has to, if it's just what day, how long they've had it and things like that. Um, If it's like day four of them having this virus or what's going on. But I've seen that multiple times where it's like all of a sudden we're having to emergently intubate after they were doing okay in the ER and things like that. So So, it's something that I would like to probably do more research on and see maybe what what the deal with that is. So you're – and again, you're not giving medical advice. You're just giving neighborly advice. Yeah. If you feel any shortness of breath, immediately get to your ER would be the the – the where you'd err on the side of caution there. Don't say, well, let me wait around another day and see if this is going to be okay. If you feel any shortness of breath for really anything, you should go to your yeah. ER, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I feel like if you're struggling at all, like if you feel like you can't catch your breath, then you definitely, I mean, 
And like I'm saying, it could be fine. They could get like, it's worth getting checked out because you wouldn't want to have like bilateral pneumonia or something. And you're sitting at home and thinking, well, I'm going to get better. It's okay. It's okay. I can get through this. And, and you are actually getting sicker and sicker. And then you come into the hospital and you're already so, so sick. And we're trying to play catch up. So like I said, I'm, you know, just a nurse, um, if you're feeling really short of breath, I would say probably go to the hospital as long as it's not super mild. But if you're feeling like you're really struggling and are not able to catch your breath, I would definitely go to the ER because that's a lot of um, these people that are coming in that were feeling short of breath at home on their chest x-rays and things like that. We're seeing that they have developed, you know, some pneumonia places in their in their lungs that we're having to start them on antibiotics and things like that to try and clear up and playing catch up and giving them oxygen and things like that. So that's that'd be my advice. Now, how many of you are, uh, have you seen anybody recover yet? Yes, I have seen um, actually two of my patients that I had the previous night, um, both got moved out. I mean, they're still in quarantine, but they got moved out of the ICU and were improving. We have had some people that we've moved out that were looking better. Like I said, had a decline and had to end up coming back, but I did get to move two out that had improved, but were still in the hospital. Is that, how, how does that help even just one doing that? I mean, did it, did it lighten? Did it just make you feel good seeing that or hearing about it or? It did, but it's also really difficult to see these people like this because, first of all, they're in quarantine. We're limiting how much we go in and out of the room. We come in and, like, all of our garb, and they are not allowed to have any visitors whatsoever. So not only are these people, like, super, super sick, they're not able to even really communicate with anybody unless they have a cell phone and are able to. But I'd say 95% of our patients are on the vent, and nobody's able to come up and visit them or check on them and things like that. So. Yeah. It's that's it's kind of a, a tricky situation, especially I don't want to be morbid, but the people that are passing, there's no one like you're in the hospital and surrounded by strangers and no family members are there for you. And it's just it's just rough. That's sad. That's that's so sad. And that that's the I guess that's the ultimate um, uh, just uh, horrific part of this. And that I know we'll get through it, but the 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 sad part of the ones that are succumbing to the to COVID, mm-hmm. uh, most of the time they're doing it all by themselves around strangers, right? And yeah. so you know, and I, we know that there's no um, this is something that we're going to have to learn from. There's really no right other right way to do it. Um, you know, it's, uh, because now they don't know if it has to do anything with your genetics, as you saw the New Jersey family, right? That, that, that new family in New Jersey, uh, I don't know, family of 12 or something like that. They have one person that was sort of, eh, they were sick, kind of not asymptomatic. They were showing some symptoms and got really sick, um, tested positive, uh, and then I think then three others tested positive. They got tested because they started getting sick. All four died. Now there's a they, so they had four. I believe four of their family members die within a week. And now another four or five are in, uh, are testing positive. And I know that they have been prioritized. And they're and they're studying that family because of the fact that it's a an uh, enormously large family where what they share is genetics. And so yeah. it, that's, as it was, it, they're, they're an outlier, but as they study that, they just, they learn more about it. 
And unfortunately, I mean, we're, some of this, we know we're not going to win on certain things. Mm-hmm. Some of this is the win's going to have to be at a sacrifice, unfortunately. Um, and I mean, I could be saying this and I could be one of those that are sacrificed. I mean, we don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, it's, uh, it, it's something that on the other side, we'll look back on it and we will have known so much more. And as yeah. this as this progresses, you know, uh, it uh, if we can slow the curve and as people really practice the social distancing, um, it buy, buys us time. Because I don't think a lot of people realize everything that's going on. I mean, it's not just yeah. uh, uh, in the medical, just on the medical side. I'm not even talking about the e- economical side, which is uh, for another another show. That's a whole other deal. We do have to mm-hmm. get the economy back up and running, and eventually it has to be a rolling out. And and I think they're starting that and they're realizing that with while studying New York. But uh, so you can start opening up parts of the country to commerce and and save mm-hmm. the the economy that way uh, on top of the bailout and everything from the government. But um, on the medical side, if y'all slow the curve and you're able to reallocate resources to the hotter spots and you're able to, unfortunately, have to rewear some things until you get more supplies, that's mm-hmm. every day's buying you more time for, for uh, medications to be tried, for a vaccine to be developed in a year or so, for clinical trials to be done, for all of that mm-hmm. sort of stuff. Um, are y'all, and, and in speaking in that, are y'all using are, uh, any of these types, uh, the medications that people have been hearing about on the news, the news, the, you know, hydroxychloroquine, uh, things like that. Are y'all able to do anything like that or? We actually have given, and I know I'm going to butcher this and my nursing, I can't pronounce these drugs. <laughs> well, the uh, President Trump can't either. So you're yeah. in good, you're, we're, we're, I think you're all in, you're in good company with all of us. <laughs> well, I'm going to say that one. We have, I have given that one a couple of times. So um, not to every patient that I've had, I don't know um, what their criteria is for receiving that one, but I have given it a couple of times to a couple of different patients. But um, the ones... Well, I will say I've had um, I've had three patients both nights, and they've been different ones every night. And a couple were rule out, and a couple were positive. So um, I'm getting them all confused now. But I'm sure that the ones that were positive, actually positive, and had the test results back and everything, we probably gave that drug to, and the rule outs were holding off on. Um, I don't know if that's something to do with um, how new they're trying this drug out with, or if it's like rationing it or whatever, but yeah, I have, I have given that drug. From my understanding, they are having to ration it. I mean, it's, mm-hmm. you know, they, there's, I don't know, Bayer is a big producer of it. And I know that, uh, they ship 30, 30 million tablets. I believe the majority of them mm-hmm. going to New York, they are having to ration those out mm-hmm. because, uh, you know, 30 million sounds like a lot. But at the same time, with something like hydroxychloroquine, um, uh, you it's not like uh, you take an aspirin a day. I mean, this is a mm-hmm. regimen of medication, correct? I mean, mm-hmm. you, you have to take an, a different uh, – and they don't know the right doses necessarily. But, I mm-hmm. mean, it's not like you're, you have to give several doses to each individual who are on this, correct? Yeah, um, I've given it um, – I don't know if it's like – twice a day or just daily but i know i've given it on my shift both nights so i don't know if it's like every 12 hours or every 24 hours and it just happens to be scheduled at night um but 
I know that they have to keep taking it at least daily. And it's a, th- it's a therapeutic, so it's just trying to help the symptoms and maybe shorten the, shorten the time span of the disease. And maybe short, because if they can shorten the time span of, basically, they need to shorten the time span of the ventilator time. And isn't that right? Because, I mean, if, we had, if you had a million ventilators in New Orleans, mm-hmm. would they be as freaked out? No, and see, there's two hospitals here in New Orleans that have already run out of beds and ventilators, so that might contribute to us receiving so many more COVID patients because every person that's going to their hospitals has to be sent to our hospital because we're the only ones with ventilators left. So whenever we're, obviously we're checking with people every day to make sure they could come off the ventilators and making sure they can take big deep breaths on their own because we are kind of getting down to the nitty gritty. Like I said, 95% of the people on the COVID floor are intubated um, in the ICU so we are getting short on those supplies. So it's kind of like reassessing everyone every day. Can anybody come off the vent? Because we do need to open up as many vents as we can. So the next person can come in and we can take care of them. Now, y'all haven't been given <clears throat> hydroxychloroquine or anything. Uh, I forgot the other one, Resevere or whatever it is. But uh, y'all haven't been given it long enough for you personally. You haven't been given it long enough to see any effects yet or have you i haven't just because i worked those two nights and those were my first two nights to actually take covid patients Mm -hmm. so i i couldn't really speak to how effective it is i'm sure they're probably doing studies they're always doing um studies and it's a big teaching hospital so um i'm sure they're keeping up with it and they might release studies a little later but i think it's a little too soon to tell so far yeah yeah, because my understanding is that's the, kind of the deal for them to to do it. They must share since it's a off since they're using it for off label, which means that it's it's a malarial drug. So mm-hmm. using it off labels means you're using it for a different event or a different type of illness, mm-hmm. uh, and they ease those restrictions on this. So uh, the thing is uh, that they have to report all that to the CDC, which is compiling all the information. And so yeah, that's mm-hmm. kind of the the consensus that I've seen so far is they just don't. No, if you've if everybody has watched or kept up with Tony Fauci, Dr. Tony Fauci, um, who's kind of become the voice of reason across the country uh, on this uh, from the NIH, he uh, and he's not uh, he's hopeful, but uh, it just there's not enough data in, and and that's why I just it was important. I wanted to ask you that question because again, you're kind of the boots on the ground, you're on the front lines, and. It, and and again, this is all your personal opinion. You're not you're not representing any one hospital, um, and and everything. You know, uh, I know you, you may hear things. I don't know if you've heard any of any of uh, positive results out of anything, or if you've heard anything of hey, this stuff isn't helping at all from what we have seen. Because those are different stories you're hearing in the media. I've seen, um, uh, you know, I'll. I'll check Fox News, and they'll have they'll actually interview patients from their bed beds who have been on it, and they're they were on a vent one day, and the next day they're not. Then you turn it on, maybe a, a um, well, maybe go should remain nameless, but more um, what would you say left leaning? Because that's sort of the world we live in today of media um, mm-hmm. of. You know this stuff. We don't have any kind of data. It's not. We don't see any. You know they're not seeing any any hope in it. So I think right now everybody is just looking for some hope. Um, 
And so have you heard of any positive things or negative things about it, about, about any therapeutic? I haven't, but they do have like a standard, um, cause we're in, in the respiratory ICU, we're having like different doctors taking shifts, kind of like nurses that necessarily aren't used to taking care of these type of patients. Like we've got orthopedic doctors and urologists and stuff like rotating through this unit and kind of picking up the slack and everybody taking turns through here. Um, they do have like a, a guideline that they've made. Um, the hospital has made like, um, a standard order set. So everybody is kind of getting the same treatment right now. Um, and like, if this happens, this is what you should do. And if this happens, this is the next step and things like that. So we are kind of following like a standard, um, guideline. Everybody's different, obviously. So we do have to tweak it, but a lot of these patients are the same. So it's, it's, it's hard to tell what's more effective and what's having a more positive effect because we are doing kind of like a, lack of a better word, like a cookie cutter guideline for everyone. So mm-hmm. it's kind of hard to tell what's working and what's not because some people are recovering and some unfortunately are not. So I think it has, it's a whole lot of factors that's in play to like age and comorbidities or they immunosuppressed and things like that. So yeah, it's really hard to say with so many different factors going on. Yeah. That, that's, it's, it's overwhelming information as right. far as, because you have to know the underlying Gosh, it's, it's like you'd have to dig into everything to, about that person to say, right. "Oh, and this like, is do the." Do they t- have a pneumonia, and are their lungs damaged, and do they have you know, you know a million different things going on? So it's kind of, yeah. it's everybody's so different. They're all the same, like having the same thing going on, but that every person has their own individual problems and things and age, and it's just so many factors that come into play with everything. Because the one thing that that uh, that you can see. I would imagine is some people that are succumbing to the disease, maybe, maybe aren't succumbing to COVID. They may be dying with COVID, but mm-hmm. perhaps we're going to probably uh, pass away from the underlying condition. And they, so in, you know what I'm saying? In other words, someone passes and they had tested positive for COVID, but they would have passed, they more than likely were going to pass anyway. So there's got to be probably some of those that are being counted in the mortalities because you know what I'm saying? Right. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. If they're already pretty sick at baseline and then they, you know, get this deadly virus and it, I mean, it's another attack on their, on their body. So it's just kind of, it's, it's too much going on at one, at one time for their body to really handle and take. So just exacerbates it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Um, well, how, um, how, what can I say normal people? I don't know what the right phrase is. How could those in the less affected areas and the ones who are typically, um, you you know that they're not having a shortness of breath and a breath or or they feel completely normal or asymptomatic uh have not been exposed to anyone um especially in this rural areas because i and i think dr fauci yesterday was sort of highlighting that where he called them the these these black spots in other words there's these pl- when you look at the heat map basically and if people want to track this cuz i track it every day as part of my job um i believe it's it's um it's called, oh, let me see um, what the name of the, the website is. Uh, I don't have it right now, but it's, uh, it's co- uh, COVID, COVID map. 
dot live. No, that's right. Co- I think it's covidmap.live forward slash map. I believe that's what it is. Anyway, it's that heat map you see and you see all the red circles and things like that. So mm-hmm. now they're looking at the black spots because now they're the, those, and those black spots are just what you think they would be. They're rural areas. We're, we're practicing, and it's interesting that the, that the rural areas are doing an extremely good job at social distancing. But also, you sort of realize that we, we kind of are socially distant anyway. We already yeah. are practicing it, and now we're ramping that up, so you're seeing less and less, right? Because, again, still, mm-hmm. for a few days now, all we've had are two just in, our, uh, in, our, in Columbia County. And there's n- no, no cases in Lafayette County. Um, there are um, a couple of cases at, around Elder Ray, the El Dorado area. Um, mm-hmm. so, I mean, they're just really spotty, and that's just Arkansas. Then you go to some states that they have two, they have <clears throat> maybe, you know, 14 or so cases or, or 50 mm-hmm. cases. But when you're talking about an entire geographic, when you're talking about an entire state, now they can actually trace those people down and do it at point of contact and, and learn from that and then shift some. Uh, support and supplies and things like that. Now, I get, so the question was, what can people that live in those areas, those black spots, as Dr. Fauci was saying, what could they do to to help? You know, if if I wanted to get the kids busy doing something um, for uh, where you work specifically, what w- is there something that we can do to help? Or are you hearing of any type of uh, initiatives or people coming together, communities coming together to, to try to help you guys in New Orleans? Um, some things that people are doing, obviously the biggest help is people staying at home, only going out for necessary things. Um, and a lot of people in the community have volunteered like to help the elderly people like go get their groceries and things for them so they don't have to get out. A lot of people are donating like we've had schools and different businesses around New Orleans like donating like bleach wipes and Clorox wipes and things like that, like any type of cleaning supplies because we are running out of of those things to disinfect, which is also a whole another scary thing. We're good on the PPE, but we are um from what I've seen on the floors that I work, we're running out of like the bleach wipes and the and the, what we call purple cap wipes, which is not bleach, but it's still like a disinfectant. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're donating supplies like that. Some people have um, been making masks, like homemade cloth masks. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not allowed to wear those in the COVID rooms, but like like I said, with the transplant patients and things like that, where we should be wearing a mask going in the room anyway, because they're already um, immunosuppressed, we can wear those masks. So I've seen people bringing those masks, um, supplies like that. We've had a bunch of businesses um, and restaurants around New Orleans, like sending us cakes or pizza or things like that. And that kind of, when we have a second to take a breath and like go in the break room for a second, and it's good to like already have food there that we can just take it, scarf it down and then get back to work. So that really has helped out a lot too. So that's great. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's a few things that, that they've been doing is people just donating and giving us food. Like a mom sent me something today that um, Starbucks has given free coffee to like healthcare workers. And it's just kind of random things like that, that makes yeah. it just a little bit easier from having to go and be on the front lines and, yeah. and being so stressed. So it's just little things like that kind of make it a little better. Good. Good. Well, uh, the, uh, you said something that, uh, that I've not heard on the news and I've been 
I've watched more news over the last week and a half than I ever have, I believe, uh, even during 9-11, during all of that. Uh, to, yeah. And um, I have not heard of a, uh, I've heard of a shortage of hand sanitizer. And you see that, mm-hmm. that a lot of distilleries are, are ramping up production of alcohol to convert to, so they're bringing, by now it's got to be ten, hundreds of thousands of gallons of hand sanitizer. But I've yeah. not heard <clears throat> of just uh, a shortage of disinfectant wipes. And that is something. That when people yeah. see those, they could send to their hospital to to down there to you guys. Yeah, um, yeah. So this is a call out to everybody, and I'll make sure that uh, I put that um, uh, on Facebook or whatnot. That you know, to your local hospital or to especially those that are uh, highly affected, that sanitation items like so. So that that right there, uh, that's something that's that the everyday per- consumer could do to s- send those out. Yeah. 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 That would help. Cause, um, at the, I think I would say probably last week at the beginning of all this, we started, um, on my regular floor, uh, we started running out of like the bleach wipes, which we usually like to wipe everything down and kind of start fresh for every shift and wipe down things. Like if we're having to use them in between patients, like checking blood sugars, wiping down the machine before we take it in another room and things like that. And they were having to, um, use some spray and kind of make some homemade bleach wipes like just put some wipes in there and then get a bottle and try to spray them instead of usually where we would just walk up and pull the little wipes out and go so it's kind of like the unit secretaries and things like that were having to take control of that and try to make us more wipes by like by hand basically and go from there so that would be nice to probably have some more lifestyle wipes and disinfectant stuff Okay. Well, I'm going to have uh, Chase make a post about that, that some places or hot spots are running out of bleach wipes faster than PPE. Mm-hmm. And if we could make a post to to call out for people to help with that. Uh, mm-hmm. Let me pause for just a second. All right, good deal. I sent that to him. Hopefully, he'll make a post pretty quick. Um, Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, Now, the, um, see, what else did I have that I was going to ask you? Um, Let's see. Well, Chase, he had a question for you that um, he wanted to know, and this is it directly. It says some people are asymptomatic and po- and you may have already you sort of answered this already, but just go ahead and just give a good simple answer for for Chase. Okay. Some people are asymptomatic and possibly do not know if they are carrying the virus. Severe cases are mainly people pre with pre-existing conditions and elderly. So how dangerous is this to average people that are in average health? I would say, I mean, we're still having people that are admitted to the hospital and having to be quarantined and things like that. They're having like mild shortness of breath and things like that. I haven't seen um, a younger person pass yet. Um, I know there probably have been in the United States, but I really, I really haven't seen a whole lot of severe cases of younger, younger people. But the big thing is, you know, if you 
are having mild symptoms and you think that you could have it, whether you get swabbed or not, you should definitely like the CDC and everyone else is saying, stay home because you don't know, you know, I'm feeling a little bad and I might go out for a walk or go to Walmart or something like that and expose 10 other people. And then they might be elderly or have some comorbidities or immunosuppressed. And then you've just triggered a bunch of other people and so many other people at risk and they might not survive it, which you, you probably will if you're of average health and younger and things like that, but it's, it's could be devastating to someone else. So, so that's kind of the call to action for everybody in the United States. I mean, you mm-hmm. are more than likely you, well, number one, there's a good chance. And especially in rural areas that you may not get it right. Mm-hmm. Uh, or may, yeah. may not be, be exposed to it or, or, or get the infection. But if this continue continues to ramp up as it looks like it will just as, but in, in different areas at different times, um, if you feel great, if you have, if you don't, maybe you got the sniffles or something, do stay at home. Just basically assume you have it and stay away. And, yeah. and because you're probably more than, and not, this isn't medical advice, but mm-hmm. more than likely for what everybody's seeing on the ground. And this is national uh, uh, from the uh, task force. So this is not medical advice that you're giving or I'm giving or, or small town famous is giving more than likely you're, mm-hmm. you're going to be okay. Just stay right. away and make sure you don't hurt someone else. Yeah. And I so just would like to assume that everyone has it and assume that you have it and social distance and only go out for essential items. Cause like, like you're saying, no one knows I mean, half the people probably, like you're saying, could be asymptomatic and have mild symptoms and not even know and then pass it to someone else and it could be fatal to them. So it's just kind of like better safe than sorry. I would just pretend like yeah. everyone yeah. has it. And <laughs> So the younger generation, if, if, and that's the thing, if they, if they just list, if they heed the advice and stay home mm-hmm. um, and, and just do what's needed to be done as far as just if ever, if everybody assumed that, assumes that they have it, mm-hmm. um, then that's going to, that's going to, that's the biggest call to action as far as uh, you're probably not going to get uh, severely sick mm-hmm. if you do get sicker, but do not experience shortness of breath. Don't go, don't worry about going to getting tested. Just, yeah. just ride it out at home and stay away from everybody. That's yeah, that, that's the that's but is that it in a nutshell? Yeah, that's that. In which I'm no doctor, don't work for the CDC or anything, but that's my advice on it. Like limit exposure to anybody as much as you can, because the hospital is definitely not where you want to be right now. Obviously, if you're having like some life threatening, can't catch your breath and things like that, go in. But if you're able to handle yourself at home and, you know, take some Tylenol and things like that and control your fever and you're not short of breath. And I would definitely stay home. And I feel like it's another issue with this too, is it might be like a millennial thing, but if it's not like in your face and you're not seeing it, then it's hard to take it seriously, especially in like the rural areas, because like, like you're saying, there's two cases in like one County. So it's, it's kind of like a mentality like, oh, well, I don't really have to worry about it. Um, it's probably not going to happen to me and things like that. And I feel like that was kind of the attitude around specifically New Orleans for a while. Mm-hmm. And it kind of took off. And even I was guilty of it um, until Monday night, like I was saying, until I saw how chaotic and how sick these people are and how many there are that it was like, wow, okay, yeah. this is 
this is a different ball game. This is, this is really, really bad. So it's kind of like just that mentality, just assume everybody has it because just because you're not seeing it and it's not in your face and you're not on the front lines doesn't mean it's not happening because it definitely is very, very serious. There's people that are dying from this, unfortunately. So it's kind of like, just assume that, like I said, I keep repeating it, but just stay at home and don't expose yourself and don't visit, you know, grandparents or people with a compromised immune system if you can't help it because it's just, it's bad. See, yeah, and it just seems like, you know, last week when we, when, when it dawned on me, it dawned on you Monday that everybody's kind of come to the realization that it's kind of coming to the realization in ways or different at different points. So mm-hmm. it's just this is not necessarily need to panic. Mm-hmm. It will be okay if we, if we socially distance and, and then right. listen to our leaders about as far as, you know, uh, we know that essentially things are going to keep, or they're going to stay up and running. We're going to keep the, yeah. try to keep the economy going and that we'll, we'll get through this. What we're trying to do is not overwhelm the hospital system. That's what this is all about. Right. And as we not, as we flatten that curve and do not overwhelm capacity, we can go back to what we want to consider life as normal, but mm-hmm. um, at the same time, we're then we're able to understand and isolate the people. Uh, as we buy more time, we have more tests available, and eventually you could be tested even if you just want to know if you've had it and you have antibodies because that's an important right. therapy uh, yeah. that they're that they're testing in, in in New York and other other in Washington, other places like that. So. Well, um, I'll wrap this up. Is there anything that you'd like to say as we wrap this up? And I, 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 and I just want to say I appreciate everything that you're doing every day, uh, putting yourself out there. And I, and I know you feel that it's your job. But you know, there are some people that, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, even in wartime, there are some people that say screw it, and they were, <laughs> and they head for yeah, the hills, right? right? right. So. Um, but I want to I want to thank the healthcare where all the healthcare workers that you know you're doing your duty you're trying to make people better you're trying to get the message out this is this is real I think that is slowly the realization across the country that mm-hmm. people are taking it more seriously especially the millennials and a- as that occurs we will flatten the curve we do start seeing promising data and. And, and as we hear good news, it gives us great uh, um, hope in what's, and, and that this is going to turn out um, like we expected and we'll get through it sooner rather than later. But right. if the people take that hopeful news thinking, oh, everything's going to be great, and they go out doing what they were doing before, then the, it can continue spreading. So we still just got to use common sense. Right. And everybody, everybody try to, you know, Stay, just chill out even as you see, uh, because there will be a wave of good news after we reach the apex. So as yeah. you see the good news, don't go out and just say, hey, I'm going to throw a 200-person party at my house because, man, we, we beat this thing. No, yeah. we don't beat it until we actually kill it, and that could be next year. You know, we have to have right. a vaccine. So right. uh, that's that's kind of my message to everybody that you know that, that celebrate the little victories thank the lord for them um still use common sense until we know that hey man there's no not that it's flatlined we're seeing you know as far as and when we're talking to when we're talking about the curve and I explained this to the kids that when we're talking about the curve 
we're talking about you're seeing the rate of discharges or recovery or people not having to come in, um, that you're seeing that as many people coming going out or going into recovery as you see coming in so that mm-hmm. you can maintain. And, and, and that will eventually happen. Um, and the data that's showing coming out of New York is that, again, their rate of hospitalizations is starting to shorten. But mm-hmm. over the next couple of weeks, it's going to get worse because more people are going to be tested. Mm-hmm. And, and as that does, don't panic necessarily. Just listen to what, what you just said, the advice that you, that you, you gave. Don't panic because it's, it's going to pass. And right. as far as your jobs and all that kind of stuff, we just saw that you know, Congress is working on the bill, which they finally, uh, I was awake at 2.30 this morning when we, uh, uh, well, one thirty when I got the news. Um, and I actually had to see it on a foreign news channel that actually broke the news first that there was a deal reached. And I didn't believe it until I finally it started popping up on, on uh, I got a notification on CNBC, um, CNN. They still weren't reporting it, turn on Fox, and they had breaking news that, that they'd reached a deal. They still have to vote on it, and it looks like that it's going to be a unanimous vote. And then they got to start ramping, uh, moving, getting that stuff out. And there's going to be direct uh, help for the hospitals and things like that. So we're going to get through this. We'll get out the other side. We'll learn a lot from it. We'll be better as a country because I haven't seen people coming together and showing love for one another and the sense of community while ironically spread. Uh, there's still this sense of community like never before, even if it's virtual. And right. it that does remind me of the uh, at the, of nine twelve September twelfth, where the nation kind of rallied as as a community, showing compassion and love. And and so we will come out of this have have having learned a lot, having learned how fragile we are, uh, having to know that God's in control and we need to trust Him because He'll walk, He'll get us through it. Um, and and that you know we can no longer say, hey, there's just like a uh, an attack on our country you know, on nine eleven. Hey, we cannot say with the, all these previous pandemics of. Ebola, H1M1, or swine flu, avian flu, West Nile, you name it. We can't say it can't happen to us because it dang sure can. And that's what this has proven. And to the younger folks who don't even remember really really what 9-11 was like and had definitely never seen, say, you know, the, say the swine flu um, and the, the probably one they may remember is maybe it's H1M1, but shoot, I mean— they weren't really worried about that. It only killed a thousand people, blah. but mm-hmm. that was huge. But yeah. you know, we're we're now we now we know that we can get that uh, that this this can happen, um, and it can definitely happen again. And this should also mobilize us as a nation to be ready when it does happen again. And if it doesn't happen for another hundred and two years, like with the Spanish flu, mm-hmm. then praise God. But right. let's have the materials ready to go. And I, and this is just a prediction on my part is that I think where you were seeing a struggle for medical schools on finding doc, we have a doctor shortage because so many are retiring. Um, mm-hmm. I have a feeling that you may start seeing a ramp up in nursing schools, uh, medical schools that just like when I left where you saw a ramp up into the military, 
that you're going to see a call to arms for the medical field like you'd never seen. Um, so, and that, that means tremendous opportunity for a lot of people, more capacity for the system. And because now we know that it's needed because mm-hmm. you never know what's lurking around the corner. Right. Uh, the, I thank you for everything you're doing. Any, uh, do you have any final thoughts? I don't think so. I think you summed it up perfectly. Just thank you for talking to me and trying to get information out there and spread the word. It really helps and, and means a lot for everybody to kind of hear what's really going on and what's needed. And, you know, don't panic, but we're going to get through this and just do your best to social distance and keep everybody safe. Good deal. Hey, well, thank you very much, babe. I love right, you. Thanks. And you take, you, you take care of yourself and stay healthy. Listen to what we were saying. Just, just stay safe. Assume you have it, but don't be scared that you might have it. All right. So um, God bless. We'll talk to you on the other side.